Hi church, I'm Andrew, one of the pastors here at EV, and I wanted to add my online welcome to Rowan's. What a week it's been, eh? A fresh reminder that COVID-19 continues to wreak havoc with our routines and that just because it's 2021, it doesn't mean that it's going to go away anytime soon. But you know, there are lots of things that people fear. Uh, we call these phobias. Perhaps you're like my sister-in-law who has arachnophobia, the, the fear of spiders. Or maybe you're afraid of the water or, or what's in the water, sharks, uh, contamination, who knows? If that's you, you might have thalassophobia, a fear of being in deep water. Now, depending on which stats you read, uh, approximately 10 to 15% of people have a specific phobia. They say that phobias are higher in teenagers and affects double the number of women than it does men. Uh, maybe it's just that guys don't think enough, right? <laughs> but there you go. But the reality is that we've all experienced fear at one point or another. We've all responded in fear because fear comes when things are beyond our control. And you know, as I was looking at the section of Mark this week, I was struck by the fact that this is the first time in this gospel account that the word for fear comes up. The word phobia actually comes from a Greek word, phobos. And it's the first time it comes up in Mark's gospel. Now, not only that, of the 12 times that Mark does use this word, four of those times occur in today's section, chapters four to five. And it's going to come up another two times next week as we look at the rest of chapter six. And so it got me thinking, what does fear have to do with Jesus? And now the first encounter with Jesus is a massive storm on the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you're not familiar with the Sea of Galilee, here's a map. Take a look. Uh, Capernaum, you'll see there, is up the top, slightly to the left. Gerasia, uh, where Jesus is headed, is off to the east. It's a region known as the Decapolis. Ten towns grouped together where lots of non-Jewish people live. And so geographically, that's where we are. Remember, the Bible is real events that take place in real places. I asked Rowan if he had a pick from when he went there. Uh, this is what he sent me. Here are the shores of Capernaum. Now, as Jesus is teaching on the shores of Capernaum, there are so many people that come out that he has to use a boat as a teaching platform so that he isn't crushed. And as the day draws to a close, he decides they should head across to the other side of the lake. And so he heads to the back of the boat to grab a nap as the night falls. And then something happens that causes a great deal of fear. Pick it up with me from chapter 4, verse 37. A great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and said to him, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? Now, these sailors were pretty uh, hardy. We have to assume that they've been in a storm or two in their time. Uh, but this is so significant that their boat was taking on water. The sailors are clearly afraid. They thought they were going to die. And, and here's Jesus sleeping like a baby in the back of the boat. And so they freak out. They wake him up. Now, what would you do in that situation? How would you feel? You know, I've been in a few storms myself uh, in my last job as a merchant seafarer. One time the waves were so big, the waves were crashing over the top of the bridge. That's where the, the boat is driven from. It's the very top part of the boat. And you know what? I was on an 11-story cruise ship. You know, water is pretty scary stuff. But these sailors, they're, they're freaking out. They, they wake Jesus up. And all Jesus does is say three words. Verse 49, silence, be still. Immediately the wind stops and there is a great calm. 
Can you imagine that? He just speaks and it happens. Who is this man? Then Jesus turns to the sailors and asks them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? (laughs) It seems like a normal situation to be afraid of, right? But they've missed that Jesus isn't just a normal guy. And that when he is around, the things we normally fear fade into insignificance. But more on that in a moment. Because after the storm incident, uh, the boat arrives on the eastern side of the lake to that region of the Gerasenes. And here we have a second encounter with Jesus. As soon as Jesus steps out of the boat, a demon-possessed man uh, who has been shunned from his hometown comes running at Jesus. This is a a man who is an outcast. He lives amongst the tombs outside the city. He's naked. He's got scars all over his body from self-inflicted wounds. Deserted by his family and friends. And he is incredibly strong. Take a look with me. Chapter 5, verse 2. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs and no one was able to restrain him anymore not even with a chain, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. So no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This time, it wasn't water that people fed, but this man and the spiritual beings that had taken up residence in him. They didn't know what to do or how to handle such an unruly member of society. And so they had banished him from their midst. They wanted nothing to do with him. And we're introduced to this man as Legion. In verse 9, Jesus asked, what's your name? My name is Legion, he answers him, because we are many. So it's not just one spirit, but a whole legion of spirits. And this is a league above what we saw back in chapter 3. Back there, Jesus just had to deal with one unclean spirit. And when the Pharisees claimed that he was driving out demons by Satan's power, if they had an issue with his power then, they were going to be amazed at what was about to happen now. Because without any crazy stuff, no crazy exorcisms, no chants or incense or whatever people pretend they need, Jesus simply calls out the unclean spirits and they know his power. Verse 12, the demons begged him, Send us into the pigs so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd was about 2,000 and they rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned. The men who tended them ran off and reported it in the town and the countryside. So Jesus shows compassion on this man in front of witnesses, but more on them in a moment. Because Jesus gets back in the boat and heads back to Capernaum. And as we read on in chapter 5, Jesus' next encounter is with a synagogue ruler named Jairus and a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. Jairus begs Jesus earnestly, saying, My little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. But at the same time, a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years comes to Jesus. Death and disease, they're the great levelers of this world, aren't they? No one wants to be sick, cancer, COVID. They're words we all fear. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Disease is a symptom of the broken world in which we live. And interestingly, Mark parallels these two stories alongside one another. Someone of a high standing in the community, Jairus, uh, perhaps wealthy and of great religious importance, uh, next to an unclean woman. These two are polar opposites. 
But first, let's take a look at the woman whose name we, we don't even know. Chapter 5 from verse 25. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She'd spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she'd become worse. Now, she had a major medical condition and had gone to great lengths to be made clean again. And she'd spent all she had on medical treatment, but things had only gotten worse. And she too was considered an outcast of society, unclean, unworthy. This woman, she comes to Jesus in the hopes that she can touch the hem of his garment because she knows that this is a man who can make her clean. And having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I will be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Did you see that? Jesus almost inadvertently heals her. The power just goes out from him the moment she touches his cloak and the woman is healed. And now previously, Jesus speaks and action results. And yet here, the woman simply reaches out and touches Jesus and is healed. Picking up from verse 32. But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And now listen to Jesus' words here. Verse 34. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. Your faith has healed you. Literally, your faith has saved you. Saved in the physical sense, but I take it also saved in the spiritual sense. In the original, the word for heal and the word for saved are the same. And so there's always this ambiguity. Is Jesus talking about physical healing or salvation of our sin? In the end, when Jesus returns, the two will come together but now Jesus doesn't promise to always heal us here and now. But when he returns, there'll be no more sickness, no more crying, no more pain. Now, Jairus, while all of this is going on, some people from Jairus' household show up to tell him the tragic news. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? You can just feel the scene slowing down, can't you? The slow-mo shot of Jairus' face as he, as he hears that news. Verse 36, when Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. Jairus had just seen this woman healed of a major disease. And now he has Jesus telling him to not be afraid. Believe Jesus, trust me, have faith like this woman Jesus is saying. At first hearing it, it feels a little insensitive, doesn't it? Just have faith, cheer up. <laughs> if we were to say that, it would be insensitive. But watch what happens with Jesus. Verse 38, they came to the leader's house and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, but he put them all outside. He took the child's father, mother and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astounded. See, the reality is we all have plenty of reasons to fear the things of this world, just like the people here in, in Jesus' day. 
Because like them, we too will be confronted sooner or later by what they're confronted with. Whether it's a great grief or, or our own coming death or, or whether it's some chronic sickness or, or perhaps it's from the trials which nature brings, like earthquakes down in Christchurch or a viral pandemic. Or even if we're not exactly like the demon-possessed man, but we know that we can't control ourselves in certain areas. Sooner or later, we're all going to come across a similar terrifying situation as the people in this account. Because these things are all part of our world. They are symptoms of the disease which affects the world and in the end affect us too. It's always because of the symptoms that we go and see a doctor, right? The, the runny nose, the, the spots. It's really because of the disease which is causing it, the bacteria or whatever it might be. Yet, yet what we need is not a tissue for the runny nose, but something that will actually deal with our sickness, deal with our disease. And in life, we need someone who has demonstrated power and authority, authority over nature, authority over demons, authority over disease, even authority over death itself. We need God. And while these miracles are important and impressive, we need to make sure we don't miss the point of what Mark's showing us. See, in, in these encounters, Jesus is revealing more about who he is, that he is God in the flesh. Jesus is God. He has the full power of God, the authority of God. And it's this realization that emerges from these account encounters. Everyone begins their stories fearing things, but they all end up fearing Jesus. Take a look at me. Take a look with me first at the sailors. So after Jesus calmed the storm, you would expect them to be like, oh, thanks, Jesus. We were in a real bind there, but, but you really came through for us. But look instead at what they actually say. Their fear is increased. Verse 41, And they were terrified and asked one another, Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. See, for these Jewish sailors, they knew their scriptures. They knew passages like Psalm 89, which says, Lord God of armies, who is strong like you, Lord, your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule the raging sea. When its waves surge, you still them. It's Yahweh who controls the waters. Or, or Psalm 65. You silence the roar of the seas, the roar of the waves and the tumult of the nations. They knew it's God who controls the storms in this world. They weren't just afraid of a powerful man. They knew they were face to face with God. Who then is this? The sailors ask. Who then is this? Let me ask you, as we come face to face with Jesus here, who then is Jesus? Is he a miracle worker, a religious figure? Is he historically important? Or is he ultimately the one who made us, the one who sustains you and I, ultimately the one we should fear? There's a sense where Jesus, well, he's not safe. He's not like you and I. He spoke and creation came into being. We don't get the option to ignore him. We can for a while, but... But when we see who he really is, when we get a glimpse of how important he is, we need to listen to him. And the sailors in verse 41 were filled with great fear. It's the same story with the demons, though. They fear Jesus and his authority to send them wherever he wants. But notice also the people that the Gerasian area, they had the same response to Jesus. So verse 15 
They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and, and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their area. Why did they beg Jesus to leave? Why were they afraid? Because they are threatened. See, they prefer the status quo, the idea that they were in control. Now, as I reflect on how much I like to be in control of, of, of as much as I can, uh, coming face to face with Jesus reminds us we're in control of nothing. The question for us is, will we keep living the lie or will we recognize the one who is in control? See, to those who recognize who Jesus is, to those who will come to him as their Lord and God, there is a very different response. For a start, there is the man who had been demon-possessed. He now has a transformed life and, life and is in his right mind. He begs Jesus to be able to follow him. And he goes and tells everyone in the cities how much Jesus has done for him, how God has had mercy on him. Here is the response of grateful gossip. Someone who is just so delighted at what Jesus has done that they just want to tell everyone they know. This man had hit rock, rock bottom. He had no illusion of control. And then he meets the one who really is in control. And he saw compassion and goodness displayed. Or take the woman, uh, the woman who has been bleeding. She hears reports that Jesus is unique. He's different. He's out of a desperation. She'll do anything. She'll do anything to be clean again. And it's this passionate pursuit of Jesus that leads her to her salvation both physically and spiritually. And it's not just any faith, it's her faith in Jesus that saves her. Remember, faith, belief, is always in someone or something. It's either in our ability to get something done, to get us out of the situation we got ourselves into, or it's in someone else. I wonder how often do you find yourself relying on yourself, trying to dig your way out of a hole when we've come face to face with the one who solved our ultimate problem of death in Jesus. I need to keep being reminded to trust Jesus, trust his word and trust his power, trust his promises. And this is exactly the response Jesus is looking for from Jairus when he says, don't be afraid, just believe. And you see, Jesus is able to do all of these things we see here because he cures the disease at the heart of the problem, which is our rejection of God, our, our failure to treat God properly. He deals with the disease by firstly not being contaminated. He always lives God's way, never rebelling against God. Uh, secondly, he deals with it by killing the disease, by then dying in our place to pay the penalty we all should pay because of our rebellion against God. And then he conquers the disease finally by rising from the dead. As you encounter Jesus on the pages of Scripture, do you believe he is who he says he is? Now, just when you thought everything Jesus touches is transformed, Mark gives us a warning. As Jesus returns to his hometown, it's in the first six verses of chapter 6. Read with me. Verse 2. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things, they said? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? And how are these miracles performed by his hands? 
Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And aren't these his sisters here with us? So they were offended by him. They didn't believe. All they saw was the carpenter's boy. Now, not everyone will recognize Jesus as more than a carpenter. Have you ever stopped to wonder, what does Jesus think of that? Well, Mark goes on and tells us in verse 6, Jesus' own response to the people from his own town. He was amazed at their unbelief. Friends, we all experience fear to some degree. There are so many things that we run from. But the thing that causes the greatest damage in life is, is running from the reality of who Jesus is. The solution to fear isn't to run, it's to trust, to rely, to depend on the one who is trustworthy, reliable and dependable. To trust in Jesus. Fearing Jesus means running to him, to his open arms of compassion, of love and forgiveness. And trusting the God who made you. How will you respond? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today acknowledging your authority. We acknowledge that you have given all authority in heaven and on earth to your son, Jesus. And in doing so, Father, you enabled him to be able to perform many great things. But help us to not miss the fact that he is who he says he is. Help us to recognize that he is the true and living God who stepped into this world, made history by becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And Father, we ask that you would help us to live in right response to that. When the ups and downs of this life cause us to fear, may we run to Jesus. May we press into him and may we continue to acknowledge his sovereign work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.